Hi, this is Charlie Peck for the Thriving School Community Solution to the improving mental health in our schools. We are in a youth mental health crisis. And so the Thriving School Community is exactly what we do. And so I'm here today to talk with Jonathan. And oh my goodness, we've got a lot to talk about. I don't know how long this is going to go, but Jonathan's got an incredible background to talk about in-school suspension based on his book, The Art of In-School Suspensions. And art of in-school suspension. And I cannot wait to dive into this. This is so big in our schools right now. Thanks for being here, Jonathan. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, you know, we have to talk about this. So let's just go right there. Where ha- where did you get started and why are we here ending up with your latest book, The Art of In-School Suspension? How'd you get there? Okay. Um, bit of a long answer to that. So I am in my going into my 12th year of education. I did seven years on a therapeutic campus teaching high school English on a campus for all of the children have a label of emotional disturbance. And then I'm going to my fifth year now as an in-school suspension teacher on a, a standard campus. And uh, how we got to in-school suspension, I guess, to writing the book of in-school suspension is, uh, I guess the first thing I should put out there is that uh, I'm an educator. My wife and daughter are both educators and most of my friends are educators. So. Uh, the way I approached the problem initially was not just thinking about how can we benefit students, but also, you know, what are the, oh, sorry about that. It's okay. Um, no worries. What are the issues uh, going into, uh, or what are the teachers ha- having issues with going into um, into that position? So um, I approached it from that angle. You know, what can I do to benefit these folks who are doing the most difficult job on, in, you know, in, in the world, teaching on a middle school campus? Um, and so my first year I started, I just, you know, coming from a therapeutic campus, I implemented some very common sense, uh, what I felt were common sense uh, standard practices for in-school suspension. And almost immediately, I'm getting uh, teachers coming up to me in the hallway saying, hey, you know, I got this kid that was in ISS with you all day, and he's caught up on all of his assignments. And I'm like, and they're saying, thank you. And I'm like, okay, is that is that unusual and they say yeah that's that never happens here um and you know i have other teachers coming up saying oh look they 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 had three zeros in the grade book and now they're caught up uh how'd you get them to do that question mark so i knew immediately that we were having a a a positive effect um and i also had teachers coming up to me saying oh you know they're having the kids are having different conversations about in-school suspension like they don't want to go there it's not fun anymore um, but they don't hate you. They're like, oh, Mr. Cranford's cool, but I hate ISS. I don't want to go back. So we're in the right direction. And that's just in year one. And then by year two, you know, my campus noticed by year two, the district begins to notice and they start sending people in like behavior specialists and other ISS teachers um, to view the ISS room as a model classroom. And, and one day that really was just sort of an aha moment for me was I had like nine people in my room, nine educators. Uh, we were, we, my district happened to be uh, coaching another, mentoring another district on PBIS implementation and they brought them to me. So I have all these people in my room all of a sudden looking at how I'm doing in school suspension, which is more attention than I've ever received as an educator um, in my career so far. So I start asking questions. I'm like, you know, what is going on? Why? Um, are other rooms, other ISS rooms operating like this? And they tell me, well, nobody's doing what you're doing. And so I say, okay, that's interesting. Um, let me look into it further. So I started looking outside of my district and I'm in the Houston area and we have over 30 districts just in, you know, within driving distance basically. And I know people around, you know, all of them. So I start asking around in other districts, what's, you know, what is it like? And I ask them how their school suspension is there. And then if you ask people what in-school suspension is like teachers, on their campus, they'll tell you, you get one of two answers. It's usually, well, uh, in-school suspension's a joke and the kids actually like to go there and you know, it doesn't serve any purpose other than just to get them out of your room for a few days. Or they'll tell you, uh, well, I think our ISS room is pretty good. But then if you dig a little deeper and ask them, well, how do you get work to them? You know, What is the you know, assignment completion rate? That sort of thing. And they'll be like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't expect work to come back from in-school suspension. You just make them sit in the room and be quiet all day. Um, which, you know, I identify that as not being school, right? That's just a holding tank for children. So 
so then, you know, light bulbs are starting to go off. So I do a little bit more research and then I, you know, I start digging around on Google and, you know, and, and I find that this, the data is showing that in-school suspension is right there with out-of-school suspension as far as this effectiveness, which is zero, right? It's mm-hmm. not, right. not a, um, so, and I'm starting to understand why already because I've been asking questions and I'm like, okay, so there is a way to do this properly, but nobody really put it all together yet. So there's no training manual, right? There's no, there's no training. There's no PD. There's, there's a PD now. I have a company that, that does professional development for in-school suspension programs, but there wasn't before. And there wasn't even a book. Uh, so when I, I looked online, I did my research on Amazon and said, well, what is my competition if I did write something here? And as it turns out, there's, there's books on why you shouldn't have in-school suspension and why it's you know, bad for kids. And, and I understand that point of view. And there's books on, you know, uh, things that you can do to pass the time in in-school suspension, basically, you know, worksheets that are, you know, uh, just busy work for in-school suspension, just stuff to like get people through. But there was no real definitive, here's how you go from, you know, no program to having a program that functions and does everything that you want to do. And, you know, what I claim, which is, you know, we, we offer a targeted behavior intervention with zero loss of instructional time. And on top of that, we're also going to give them some SEL. Um, we're probably going to do grade repair. We're going to we're going to backfill some deficits, uh, hopefully, usually, I should say. And um, and it's also going to be trauma informed, which is kind of a buzzword. And my partner and I, uh, my my business partner, I wouldn't really use that. We use the term trauma assumed because the kids we've been working with, we know that, you know, you can just expect it. So it's a trauma assumed program, zero loss of instruction. Um, and that's why I wrote the book, because I was like, somebody's got to put this all in one place. So I told you it's going to be a long answer. (laughs) No, no, but it's good. We need to understand it because where you're coming from is so important, knowing that we don't have any manuals on this because this is super important. It's actually so pivotal. If we can keep kids in an in-school suspension rather than sending them home and then having a great program to get them back into the classroom and they don't want to come back to you, (laughs) but yet they like you, right? This is all good stuff. This is all good ingredients to a good program. So let's talk about that for a second. Why don't they want to come back to you, even though they do like you? Well, I mean, it's not a good time. Yeah, what is it that you do? Yeah, yeah, it's important. <laughs> um, it, it's really just the the overall vibe of the day. I mean, some kids enjoy the first day. Let's put it that way. So a typical in-school suspension placement is going to be one to three days. Um, that's how they do it in Texas anyways, for the, all the schools that I've seen. So, you know, one day for something minor, like they got too many tardies or something like that. And then, you know, for something a little more major, like they were skipping or, you know, it's their fifth offense um, of classroom disruption or something, you know, intolerable, then they might do a three-day drop. So um, I've had a lot of kids who like the quiet and they, you know, they catch up on their work. Those are typically like a tier one type student. Um, But for everybody, no matter what kind of day they're having, you know, what what type of student they are, um, three days is pretty long time to be in a room where not much is happening other than we just do our work. Mm-hmm. You know, we do our work. Mr. Cranford will work one-on-one with you. He'll give you a lot of time and attention, but it is work focused. So at the end of the day, there's nothing negative. We're not, we're not, you know, treating them less than, or, you know, or we're not shaming them. Um, we're being as, as safe as possible. And I'm trying to empower them as much as possible, but it's a long time to be in there without, you know, changing classes, seeing your friends, it's just that passage of time that makes it get old pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And I asked that question because it's an important one. We don't want kids having the idea that they get to leave their classroom to go to some somewhere else um, and want to be there. We want them back in the classroom clearly. So that's an important question. But they, but again, I hear what you're doing is you're creating that safety. They do like you. They do want to be around you, but yet they still want to go back to their classroom. So how do you bridge that gap with the classroom teacher so that you're helping them devise a plan to get them to come back and want to continue staying there and staying on task? Right. So let's just distinguish then between like a tier one type student who's already going to want that. They want to go back to class. They enjoy being in class. Um, you know, we put these kids in these categories and, and I know that that's very, um, it's, it's kind of a, a simplification, but you've got those students who are enjoying school, loving to learn. Um, that's how my wife was as a, as a student. That's not how I was as a student. I was more on the tier two side. 
And, um, you know, like a one day in school suspension or even a detention or, you know, a stern talking to by an administrator is going to get that kid on track, right? For a tier two level student who really doesn't like to be at school as much, maybe isn't as engaged in their classroom, um, has behaviors that have been serving them for a very long time, um, they're going to, it's going to be a different experience uh, for them. Um, what I try to do and focus on as much as possible for those tier two type students is get them to the point where they're caught up enough to actually be able to engage in school. Because often what I find is by the time somebody gets to me, there's multiple zeros in the grade book, or maybe they have so many deficits that you know we haven't learned these third, fourth, fifth grade skills. And now we've got to apply these math skills you know, that are more complex and we just don't have the, the skills to do it. So I have an eternity with my learners as compared to a regular classroom teacher. And that's the awesome thing about ISS. So I have, you know, 45 minutes to two hours to three hours to spend one-on-one -on -one with a kid sometimes, not always, but, but often where we can work on those skills or, or get those, get that work completed so that now they're at a point where they're actually ready to go back and engage in school. Because, you know, if you're sitting there and staring at a teacher that is, you know, not making sense to you, concepts that you know you don't know and you know there's no chance of you learning, then you're just going to kind of fall back on those old behaviors that have been serving you, right? You're just going to be disruptive or maybe you're going to skip class or going to ask to go to the bathroom three times a class period or every class period. You know, it just it's the same stuff we see, which are just those they're just those learned behaviors that are helping them get through school. And we want to try to correct that and give them some sort of momentum moving into that, going back to that classroom, rather than, I'll give you the opposite. You know, when you have a, an in-school suspension room that isn't functioning, then you have the opposite of that. You have a kid who's, yeah, he got, the, the teacher got a three-day break from the student, but now they're going back three days behind in instruction. Mm -hmm. um, and that cannot happen, right? That's not, that's not helping us. So, my, like I said, I always uh, approached it from both the teacher and the student perspective. And for my teachers, I'm not going to send a kid back to you that is, you know, three days behind in instruction because I did not help you if I did that. I didn't help you or the student. So that's where we, that's where we try to focus on, you know, making sure that they're going back um, with, you know, uh, some sort of momentum going into that class, going back into that classroom. Yeah, I appreciate that so much, that momentum, because it's really about giving them the confidence that they can actually start functioning in that class. So that's why I asked the question, like, what do we do to bridge that gap with that, that teacher that may not have been able to capture them the way you did to get them to actually do the work. I know the one-on-one -on -one is a big deal too, but sometimes there's a, there's a different pushback. And so when that kid is going back into the classroom where they think that this teacher might be already judging them or they don't get along or doesn't like me, um, how do you mitigate that? Right. So we'll probably have at some point, and I tend to push it towards the end of the day is when we do more of our SEL stuff. I mean, it occurs throughout the day, but we're going to have a conversation where we ask them um, I, I, there, whether we do it in a circle, if I have a big enough class, um, we'll do a group serve. We just have, it's a small number of kids and we have kind of a behavior reflection sheet that we do that is private just for me and the kid where we'll ask some questions about, you know, what happened, just straight up what happened. I'm not going to share this with anybody. Um, and, um, what, you know, how did, you know, how did that affect you? You know, how, how is that working for you? And we'll reflect on that behavior on how they got where they're going. And maybe we'll, most likely we'll talk about some skills on how to deal with that from their perspective, you know, how to deal with that teacher, that interaction that they're having, um, that feeling that they're having that isn't serving them. And oftentimes, you know, you have these, like I said, tier ones, they get it right away, right? They're, they're you know, they're gonna be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, okay, I'm good. Um, with a tier two student, uh, sometimes it takes a little bit more time and, um, so what will happen is we'll have, we'll keep that behavior reflection sheet on file. And when they come back the second time or the third time, um, then they start to see like, oh, look, I'll, I'll bring it out and be like, look, we have this sheet here that this was, you were in here for the same thing that this last time. And, or maybe this is the third time, you know, that, that you were in here for this same behavior. And oftentimes that's when they start to click and go, oh yeah, maybe it's me, you know, or maybe it's something that I'm doing. 
and you can get them to like look at things over time. Um, that's helpful. That can be powerful also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when they have that relationship with you, the rapport, even though it might be short term that you spend a lot of time with them engaging in a very different way, but in the school setting, that's what I love. It actually helps them connect to the school in a different way. And so, okay, let's talk about the actual program structure. What's different about the structure you put together that others don't have? What's really foundational going back to that very first piece you talked about, something that you did that you think needs to be in place that nobody else was actually doing? Right. So it starts with what I call infrastructure. And the infrastructure for an in-school suspension room is, you know, it starts with how are you laying out the room, right? And I have... Uh, I have some diagrams in the book and some examples that you can follow. Um, so room layout, where's your, you know, where's everybody sitting? How is it to the desks, you know, all facing away from each other. You don't want to make it easy. You want to have it set up to where um, you want to make it easy. Sorry for them to, uh, to, to be a successful that day. So, and a lot of times that means you're not having them all facing each other or side by side because that's just a recipe for them to make a mistake and create an error. Um, that they're going to be redirected for. So we want them to successfully complete their day. So we try to set the room up for that. The other part, that's kind of a physical infrastructure thing where your rules are posted, um, making sure that you have rules posted, obviously. Do you have a, a place for them if they're allowed technology in school? Do you have a place for them to put their cell phones? You know, I use a calculator caddy and they all come and put them in and all the desks are numbered. So I have everybody's uh, uh I know where everybody's sitting. It's it's connected to my seating chart, which is connected to the calculator caddy. So the number of your seat is where you're going to put your phone. Um, just basics. Well, what I would consider basics, and a lot of uh, regular classroom teachers do something similar as well. But that's that's the standard physical structure of the room. And then the infra the, the digital infrastructure is extremely important. It's you know how are we getting work from the teachers uh, on you know in a timely manner for these students. And the reason that's so important, I think it's pivotal, is what makes my school, what makes what I do different from out of school suspension or alternative school is, like you said, we're not tearing them away from their learning community. We're keeping them in their learning community where I can now communicate with their teachers directly if I need something and um, and, and they can communicate if they need to also. So, um, so I'm communicating with their teachers. I have a spreadsheet where they put work um, for the students. And I try to get, make sure that, you know, most of the time I have most of their classes, the, the work for the day, uh, their assignments by first period, by the end of first period, at least. Um, there's a few stragglers always, but, you know, I can just shoot an email. I'm right there in the learning community. I'm not somewhere else. We're not off of campus. We're right there. Uh, I can send somebody if I need to for something. So everything's right there. And that also, uh, it feeds into why this is also uh trauma assumed ISS, because if it's trauma assumed, then you want them to feel safe, but you also want them to have some sort of uh, efficacy and choice, right? right? Well, myself getting the, making sure I have all their assignments by first period from their teachers means that I can now give them the ability to choose how they want to start and, and run their day. So I typically, as I'm going through um, the, the morning, you know, I, I spent about 30 minutes on rules and expectations. I call that when the morning, when the day that's, that comes after infrastructure. Um, but, um, but as I'm doing that, I let them know like, Hey, we're going to do our assignments in the order that you choose. So you want to start with math today? That's cool. Start with math. I have your assignment right here. I'm just going to track into my spreadsheet. I'll know where everybody's at and I'm monitoring to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, that gives them some efficacy in how they, how they, tackle their day. Um, we, we go for core content first. So I, I, you know, I want to make sure we get master's history science at ELA done first. But if I have a kid who's, you know, working and they've got math and social studies done and they want to, you know, they want to put off ELA and do Spanish and you know, do an elective first, I'll look at it and be like, yeah, you're working. That's fine. We can, you know, as long as we're going to get everything done by the end of the day, I'm happy. Right. Cause I want my kids to be successful. Um, so, you know, so we've got our infrastructure, digital and physical, uh, we've got our uh, rules and procedures. I call it win the morning, win the day. So that is very crucial. I spend, like I said, I spend about 30 minutes because them feeling safe. I mean, the conundrum is with uh, trauma assumed stuff or trauma informed is that, you know, they have to feel safe. Right. But and, and you're, they're trying to uh, put exclusionary discipline as like a last resort. Right. 
uh, which I understand. But if you have a good trauma-informed ISS room, it doesn't have to be an absolute last resort. It can be something um, more positive. So yeah, my room, my door is closed to my room and we're in there and they're with me all day. But as I'm going through the morning, I'm telling them everything to expect, what, what to expect. There are no surprises. They know how the day is gonna go. They know they're gonna be with me all day. Everything is discussed. So it takes about 30 minutes. It does eat up some time in the day, but it's well worth it because we don't have any issues after that yeah. for the most part. Um, so it's safe. They know what to expect. There's no surprises. They have some choice in how they run their day. Um, and, uh, then from there, you know, it's just, honestly, once I've won the morning and got everybody going with it, with the way that it needs to be the way that, or got everybody on task and, and, and rolling the way that they need to be, then I'm just at that point, I'm monitoring for what I call the invisible hand, which is I'm looking at kids, what they're doing on their Chromebooks. I have a, a program where I can see their screens online. Plus I have the room set up so I can physically monitor at all times. We make sure that tech violations are not an issue. Um, and what I'm looking for is those students who are who need help with something, but they're not going to raise their hand. Uh, they, they know that they can because I've gone over it. I'm, I'm letting them know like, hey, guess what? I'm a real teacher, believe it or not. I, I, I can help you with, with these things. Um, but they're, these kind of students historically aren't going to raise their hand and ask for help. So what I'm looking for is somebody who's staring at the same problem for five minutes or they haven't even written a sentence of that you know, paragraph that they need to write or whatever. And then what I do is I just call them to my desk and that's when we start working. I look for those hints and then I don't give them a choice. I'm not gonna say, hey, uh, do you need help with that? Because they're not gonna say yes, I know that. They're, they're just gonna say, no, I'm good. And then, you know, then we're having a different conversation. So I just say, hey, why don't you come on over to me and let me look at that with you. And then we just start working together and it's the most seamless thing ever. And they don't feel like I'm getting on them or anything like that. We just start working on something and we start figuring things out. And that just tends to work really, really well until we get to the end of the day. I, you know, I just, I, I just run through cycle through that with, you know, all the kids. Sometimes a lot of kids need help. Sometimes very few of them do just depends on who's in there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then towards the end of the day, we do some, a little bit more SEL. We might have a circle. We might, uh, might just be going over some of our, our questions. Um, I might just talk to them a little bit, you know, might have something very informal. It just depends on, you know, how the, how the day feels. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the kids who really do struggle and they don't actually get through their work? And truly they, I mean, there are some who just will not do it for various reasons, as you know, uh, and ones who just do not have the skills and don't have the time to learn the skill with you. What do you do to handle that? So I don't really let them not do anything. That's just, it doesn't happen. I do give them skills to deal with work avoidance. So uh, some of those are, you know, I've, I've talked about it. I've, I listed some in my book where, you know, we can do like a work rest, you know, work five minutes, rest two minutes, or, you know, work 10 minutes, rest five. Um, I give them a little strategy. So we're teaching them skills that they'll hopefully be able to use outside of the in-school suspension room. Um, but work avoidance is something that you will get redirected for. Um, it might take a while. And uh, for you, I, I mean, there's, it's very rare that I have kids who don't complete all of their core content assignments. Um, and if I do, it's like they got at least two of them done. And that would be very, very seldom that they, that they fell that far. Um, uh, most of the time, if they are giving me, you know, if I don't have instructional control for, you know, X amount of hours or whatever, then, you know, they might only get three out of four of the core contents done. Uh, or maybe they got, you know, three of them done in one elective because I was, you know, allowing them to do that to get a little bit of a break from core content that they were trying to avoid. But uh, it's really, I, I have a way of redirecting them and I give wait time and, you know, multiple reminders to stay on task, just stuff that you should do if you're working with these kind of folks. And eventually it just gets to the point where they're like, okay, I'm going to do something, right? If we get to like noon and they're at, you know, they've had multiple redirections and they're getting to the point where they're close to not successfully completing their day of ISS, which means they're going to get another day of ISS possibly. Then usually at that point, you know, it's, it's been a long day. I've not been rude to them, but I've just told them, Hey, we're at this point now. Okay. Now we're at this point. Um, you're still not, you know, on task. You're still not doing what you're supposed to do. You know, we give non-judgmental, non-energized redirections is, you know, always. So, they just know that, you know, these are the things that are happening that I talked about would happen at the beginning of the day. So there's no surprises. 
Um, then usually by that time, that point in the day, it's been kind of late. They're like, oh, I've already been in here for several hours. I probably just want to do something uh, to get some work done. And they'll do that. And there's and usually they come back the next day and they're even better if they if they you know, if it's unless it's their last day or whatever, then, you know, they might have they might have gotten a three day um, uh, ISS placement and day one. They're maybe testing the waters a little bit with that work avoidance. By day two, we don't really have that issue anymore. And day three, um, they're probably fatigued of being in the room, but they're you know, they're OK and they're doing their work and they just want to get it done and get out and enjoy the, their freedom again. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. Oh my gosh, you can imagine yourself too. Oh my gosh, I've I had Saturday school once, so I know exactly. It's not the, exactly the same, but my goodness, we weren't allowed to do work. Oh my gosh, I remember that day. Um, Breakfast club all over again. But mm-hmm. it's true. If if you're engaging them clearly, engaging them in a way that's non-judgmental, which sometimes they they don't experience or they don't have that perception of adults not judging them. Does that make sense? If they're coming into your space. Um, that's really powerful. Clearly you understand that. So if you, Jonathan, were going to um, step out of this role and start your own, own classroom and you, you did like a regular ed class, what would you immediately do when you're, you're planning for the next year? What would you do to carry over or, some of these principles that you're using or, now that are working well into your own regular education classroom? Sure. Actually, my daughter uses some of the stuff from my book. She's she's given me shout outs on social media. It's, it's really kind of her. Nice. So she's like, yeah, I use this strategy from your book. Thanks, Dad. I'm like, you have no idea how proud that makes me as a father. <laughs> um, but uh, sure. So one of the things I do, it, I would for sure carry over, would be my redirection and documentation, because that is a huge issue for teachers in a standard classroom. And now the difference between, what, between my class and their class is I have them all day and they have them for 45 minutes at a time, right? So my redirection strategy is we kind of have a three strikes and you're out policy, um, not meaning you'll be kicked out of the ISS room and get OSS, but you'll, you know, you didn't successfully complete your day, so you'll probably get one more day. You know, that's that's my deal with my, my assistant principals is that, you know, if a student is unsuccessful, we have very few that are not successful, um, then I get another day. I don't get, you know, OSS or anything, you know, anything higher. We just get one more day. I love, uh, I know, I know you've got more to say about this, but I really love that you said that you're going to keep them because so many of them are just shunned and pushed out and pushed away. And it is so vital that you're, it's like, no, you, you get to come back to me. I, it is just so crucial. I'm so, I'm so glad you said that, Jonathan. Okay. Sorry. Go on. Yeah, no, truly. It's really important. Super. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, where, well, I was going to add on to what you said. In my first year, that was what I was told was, well, if they get their three strikes, then they're out. They OSS. And my first year, that was something that I, um, I mean, I, I went ahead with it once or twice. And we had a, several students, you know, go from ISS to OSS. And that was my first year. I didn't, you know, I was, I was trying to do the best I could. But I realized it felt like a failure every single time. And so... What I, my next year that I, you know, I was like, we're going to have, the goal is to have, you know, no students, you know, go OSS. And, you know, by the third year, uh, we were, we didn't, I didn't have any, um, I had a few walkouts, but I didn't have any go OSS because of me, because of, you know, them not being successful in my room. Um, so yeah, within like a two to three years, we were able to get that down to nothing. Um, Cause there's no reason I had a few that got extra days of ISS for sure, but none of them had to be um, suspended. So, which is, it's great for the APs, you know, they, the, the administration likes that. So they don't have to send kids away. Um, what I would carry over. So let me just explain, I guess this, this three strikes and you're out thing, cause it's really not, I have them all day. Right. So I can't just say like breakfast club, like, you know, you, you can't get into that power struggle where it's like, well, you, I redirect a kid and then they respond and then I respond back with another redirection, right? That's, that's breakfast club. That's, well, you get another day of detention and another day and another day, right? You, you can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. And you can't do that in a standard classroom either. So the way it works is I have a spreadsheet where I document everything, <laughs> track, you know, what work, what assignments are on, what's been completed. Um, and my behavior is also tracked on that, on that spreadsheet. So the first time you get a redirection from me, it's a verbal warning. And I will document why. The second time is an in-class consequence, and I will document why. And then the third time is a strike, and I will document why we received that. Um, and then we start over again. Second in-class uh, verbal warning, second in-class consequence, second strike, 
um, all the way up to the third strike. And the in-class consequences vary as we go up the ladder. But what happens, what I, what, what I would do is I would move that over to uh, my classroom, to a regular classroom, but I would have that be like a weekly thing where, you know, if we do get to that third strike by the end of the week, then we're probably going to copy that and send an email to a parent. Um, so that they can see, instead of you calling them every single day saying like, hey, this kid's being disruptive in my room. Can you, you talk to him? We just show them at the end of the week, like, hey, it's Thursday. They hit three strikes. I just wanted you to know. And they will see like nine documented incidences of behavior. And if they don't care at that point, then you know there's nothing you can do. You're just going to have to keep redirecting and, and documenting. Um, but then your, your admin has it too, right? So you can at least show that like, hey, this is what I'm seeing here in the classroom. And then the other thing is within that documentation, like I said, if I give you a verbal warning, I'm not going to then, uh, if, you, if, you, if you don't respond or if you respond negatively, I'm not gonna then escalate, right? I'll do what's called a behavior cluster. So if I say, hey, I need you to get on task and you blow me off, I'll wait a little while and then I'll go, okay, listen, I need you to get on task. I'm gonna give you some wait time, about five or six minutes or 10 minutes if it's, if it's work avoided, it's something that can, we, can, we, can, we can outweight them on. And then I'm gonna check in with you and I'm gonna give you multiple reminders to get back on task in that 10 minutes. And if after 10 minutes we haven't gotten there, then, you know, then we'll go to the next consequence. So we're giving a lot of time before you even get to that next consequence, typically. Sometimes a long time, like I said, it takes a good while in my room to even get to that second strike. Hmm. Wow. Oftentimes it's, it's after lunch. And so then we can be like, we can go to them and be like, Hey, you know, we're on, we're on strike too. So we're not doing great, but do we really want to get to this? You know, we want to really want to go all the way to three and risk another day of in-school suspension when you're already made it most of the day. And most of them are, you know, they'll look at the day and be like, yeah, I don't want to do this again tomorrow. Yeah. So yeah. You can so I would take that and put it into like more of a, like a weekly format for, um, for a regular classroom, um, you know, instead of it being that day, it would just be like over the course of a week, we would do that. So if you reach the third strike by the end of the week, then we'll take some some more action on top of that. And then, I mean, everything I do as far as like when the morning, when the day, I mean, this is stuff I did on the therapeutic campus where, you know, you really strongly work on your rules and expectations and your procedures the whole first week of school, right? right. Um, well, I do it, you know, I basically have the first day of school every day in ISS, essentially, when it comes to, you know, rules, procedures, all of that. Um, I would keep that and I would almost the same way that I do it now. I would, it would just spread it out over a week. And then every time they come back from a break, you know, like Christmas break or, you know, a more anything longer than two days, we got to go over all that stuff again. I mean, I, I, teachers, good classroom, teachers of good classroom management know that you have to do that. They do it intuitively. Um, others, you know, you, you got to like let them know. I, I think I had to be told probably my first one or two years. Somebody had to come along and say, hey, you know, Christmas break, you're going over your rules and procedures again, right? I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to do that. Yes, that is crucial. <laughs> They've been gone for two weeks. They've completely forgotten everything, how to behave as normal human beings in a classroom. <laughs> yeah. Lost that ability. It's been longer than three days. So well, we're, we're seeing that in middle school. Apparently, I keep hearing this from school counselors and school social workers that, there are many seventh and eighth graders who there's a fallout from the time that they missed with those social skills in school. And now that they're in middle school, the seventh graders are really struggling. I'm hearing that all across the nation when I talk to middle schoolers or middle school teachers and social workers and school counselors. Not everybody, though, of clearly not everybody. But it seems it seems like when they do miss out on that structure of school, which is why school is so vital to our society, that um they do struggle. And so they need that. And so they need us to lead that. So uh, again, I'm so glad you're saying these things, Jonathan. So let's talk about those kids who struggle with outbursts. I know people are thinking about it. Um, I don't even like that word myself, but let's, let's do that. Um, I think what principals who are listening, administrators who are listening, APs who are listening are grateful about the documentation and really wish classroom teachers would do more of that. I think that would help in a lot of ways, but they're so busy. So let's talk about those um, behaviors that do show up in the classroom and documenting that or, and, and the other side of that is more importantly, preventing that. So let's talk about how teachers can actually document that in a way that's super easy. And then let's talk about how we can prevent that. So go whichever way you'd like to go first. <laughs> Sure. Okay. Well, prevention first, and you may have to remind me of the second part of the question, okay. um, okay. is uh, 
you're like I said, there shouldn't be any surprises. So, and you want to prevent outbursts, then, which is, you know, I, like I said, I spent seven years doing this. Um, I often tell people working on a therapeutic campus that even within my own district, they have no idea what that, what that meant. And we're talking about kids who are from residential treatment centers um, coming to you. They're in and out of behavioral health institutions. A lot of them are coming out of uh, juvenile justice programs. Uh, those kids, I, I, you know, I tell people this and they, they freak out, but I mean, they put me in the, they sent me to the emergency room twice just in my last semester at that mm. school, once for a bite and once because I was uh, assaulted. And that was like a normal semester. I mean, I filled out that workman's comp form so many times in my oh, career oh, no. that, you know, it was just, it was ridiculous. Um, but because, uh, you know, you were dealing with really aggressive behavior sometimes. Um, so the prevention part is you don't want to have any surprises for these folks. Um, I don't, you know, in the five years or four years of in-school suspension, teaching in-school suspension, I've not been assaulted one time. Um, you know, I haven't had to deal with anything. I've had some outbursts. Um, I've had some meltdowns in the classroom. Um, very few, but it happens once in a while. Um, but I, you know, I have so much experience dealing with that. It's not, it's not a big issue. Um, the way you avoid that is like I, what I mentioned, doing the things that I mentioned before, you know, having, you know, winning the morning, making sure that there's no surprises, laying out all that. And then on top of that, you need to make sure that you're fair because it's when you start to get unfair, people start to notice, particularly those kids, you're ruining those relationships when it feels like, you know, you're redirecting one person for one thing, but you're letting things slide with somebody else. So you have to be fair in your redirection and it's easier to be a little more strict on it than it is to be loose with it. So, because you're going to forget. And that's why I keep the spreadsheets to keep myself on track, right? So if I have 12 students in the class that, you know, are with, that have some behavior issues, if I'm redirecting one for talking, but I'm not redirecting another one for talking just because they're typically a better kid, then I'm still being, not, I'm still being unfair. So you can't do that. So you have to redirect everybody equally. Um, everybody gets the same redirection and consequences. Uh, and of course, you know, the respect thing and the building of relationships, we, I need to go into that more. I mean, we could do a whole topic on teachers building relationships in a classroom, but one of the big things that I, uh, I actually happen to be teaching a classroom management, um, uh, pullout session when we go back uh, next school year. And one of the things I'm going to talk about a lot is what that actually means right? Because I've had people talk about, well, you should try to go and learn popular culture things so that you can relate to the students, which is a hard pass for me. I mean, if we're relating to each other, that's fine. But you know, that is not as valuable as reflecting with that student. Um, it's not as valuable as actually spending some time one-on-one -on -one working with that student, right? So what I need them, to, the, what, what we need to understand as teachers is that you need to uh, not have a friend relationship. You need to create an appropriate teacher-student relationship. And what that looks like is they understand exactly what they can expect from you. There's no surprises. And they can see that you are there to help them achieve something. So they see your boundaries. They know them. They're understood. But there's so much willingness to make sure that they're successful that they're not going to care about that, right? That's nurturing. For sure. That's what that relationship yeah. is. Absolutely. Uh, and that'll cut down a lot on the meltdowns, you know, not on every kid, some children, you know, depending on their diagnosis or whatever, yeah. um, they just, they're, you're not going to be able to stop that. There's nothing you can do to deescalate certain, certain people, certain times, but for the most part, you're not going to have to deal with that. And most of your kids, 99% of your kids are going to respond well to you. If you just have an appropriate teacher student relationship, that's hard when you know we have these 22 year old 23 year old teachers coming in they're not even 25 yet they just you know they're not even fully formed themselves and understanding what they want as relationships in their own lives and so that needs to be spelled out it's like i said in my book that um that one line i'm sure people probably took offense to it but i said you know like telling teachers they need to build relationships is a lot it, it's almost as useless as saying you need to have more interesting lesson plans you know, more interesting, like it's not helping them unless you tell them how to get there and what that looks like. 
Agreed. Because for a long time, that was what they were telling the teachers before the build relationships thing was big. The have more interesting lesson plans, make the kids more interested. Like you're going to be able to compete with a 4K video game, you know, or, uh, you know, whatever the new streaming movie is, you know, that's, that's, that's not what's going to work. They need to understand, you know, where they are, what is expected and, and know that you're there to help them achieve. And once they can feel that, then we have a better relationship. And that's a, that's a different kind of relationship. So that's what I, that's what I would push as far as, you know, avoiding those, those meltdowns. Yeah. I love that you said that too, because you're saying a lot of good things here, Jonathan. Thank you. (laughs) That's why I have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, of course. And, And that's the thing is like, you can't just throw those blanket terms out there, even trauma informed. I mean, that's my background. And I still am cautious about using the word trauma because it's misunderstood or just so overly used, like just build a relationship with a kid while, oh my goodness, how many times do teachers have to hear that? They know that and they're burned out from hearing that they're even burnout is driving me nuts these days to keep saying that. Um, but it's, it's going back to basics, isn't it? Use Use kids' names properly. Get get their names right. Spell them right. Look at them. Notice them. Some basic things there. But I, I want to go back to one of the things you said is the one-on-one time. Teachers are totally overwhelmed with the one-on-one stuff. But one thing I, I really think we need to do more of is the one-on-one conferencing in our classrooms and set that up. I love the community circle thing. Um, that There's tons of evidence of why that works and that it works. But the one-on-one is where you're going to get that time with them to let them know that you truly do value them and believe in them. And so when you can create that, even a short period of time, we've got to structure our classrooms that way. That sounds like one of the reasons ISS is working the way you set it up. So what do you think about that? Going back to how would you set up a classroom? How would you actually build in that one-on-one time with students if you did go back to a regular classroom? That's so... I, I mentioned that my wife and daughter are both school teachers. What I didn't mention is that my wife is probably one of the best math teachers in the country. Hmm. Like she's amazing. And I was asking her that question also recently. And what she, she taught me something that I didn't really realize because I've, I've been uh, out of the regular classroom for a while now, but you're not gonna have time as a regular classroom teacher. We have 150 kids throughout the day, 45 minute increments, you're not going to have, there's no way that, you know, one conference per 150 kids, that's, you'd spend a whole semester just conferencing one-on-one with those kids. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I said I get an eternity with my learners because even 30 minutes is probably more than one-on-one time than they're going to get all year from a math teacher or a, a Spanish teacher or something. Um, the time simply isn't there, unfortunately, but what she taught me, and I'm going to start implementing this in some of the things that I teach, is that that instant feedback that you can give when you're walking around the classroom, when you do stuff like I do, we do, you do, well, when it comes time for the you do part for them to be working independently, you don't just go back to your desk and kind of monitor the class. you got to be walking around instantly, like giving feedback on what they're doing when they're doing it in real time. So that you can cut down on, for one, you make those personal touches, right? You're not not physically touching the students, God forbid, right. but you're going around and like touching each student essentially by, you know, like, oh, this, you know, what are you writing? Okay, let me look at it. Well, let me make this correction here. You know, you're giving that instant feedback on their work. And if you're doing that, it does two things. One, it helps to build that relationship, right? In those short, tiny increments, because they're having a one-on-one little interaction with you every single time. And then two... Uh, it also keeps them from that learned helplessness thing that keeps happening that I hear a lot of teachers complaining about, which is you try to get them to do some independent work and then they just sit there and they, I don't know, I don't know how to do anything. You know, they'll just, you can't allow that. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. instant feedback thing is something that you can do. You know, it's a little more legwork. You're already, you know, up on your feet a lot. Um, you know, one of the reasons I like ISS, I don't have to leave my desk a lot, I bring them to me. Um, but they, you got to be, you know, they, you got to be up moving around that classroom and you are giving, you know, up and down those aisles, you're giving instant feedback to all those kids that can, that can help to give you some of that time to build that, that help to slowly build that relationship over, you know, over the course of a, a nine weeks period or six weeks period. Yeah. And kids pay attention to those teachers who just sit at their desk and don't get up around. They just know, and they talk and that word gets around and people just know, they know. 
so thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. Um, one of the things I had mentioned before about the documentation. So I don't what I I don't love that, but I do also want to use it in such a way to show patterns that show up. And that does go back to the whole trauma informed um, that we're talking about too, is we've got to look for patterns of behavior that keep showing up. And if it's just showing up in one space rather than the other or time of day or, or something, right? So what's surrounding that? So how can we as a whole school system improve the environment for our kids by using documentation, not negatively, but in a way that tells a story for the kid? Any suggestions there? Well, like you said, you're going to look for patterns, right? So pattern recognition, and you can then just, you don't have to show it to anybody if you don't want to. So for instance, my third in-class consequence for before you get your third strike, right? So we're at like eight redirections at this point and possibly and pr probably way more because some of them will be behavior clusters where, you know, we go, we get through quite a few things before we move on to that next consequence, but we're documenting all of it. Um, the third in-class concept for me is that we, you know, it's going to be parent contact. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let your parents know that, hey, we're almost to the third strike, right? I don't want you to get another day. Um, but I also let them know, like, hey, if we don't get to that third in-class consequence right before the third strike, nobody's going to see this ever. Like, it's just between me and you. So, you know, you really have to be pushing it to get to that point. Um, so, and what you can do with that, then with that documentation, especially if you're over, you know, in, in, a, in a longer setting, like, you know, with, with a, um, like a classroom setting where you have them all week, um, you're looking at that and hopefully they're not getting to that third strike every week. Um, but you're, you can see what the pattern is and then you can show them and just say, Hey, look, this is what's happening. How is this serving us? You know, how is this making it, what can we do to fix this? What can we do to, to stop you you know, constantly interrupting me while I'm teaching because that's, you know, there, it's, it's not just interrupting my teaching, but it's 22 other kids who are interrupted with their learning, right? So what do we do to fix this? So you can just take it to the kid. You, just because you document somebody doesn't mean you have to show it to anyone. Most of the documentation, I, I don't, I mean, I didn't show any documentation to my admin this year. I don't think maybe once um, just because there wasn't anybody, never got to that point. Mm -hmm. um, but you can always take it to the kid and say, you know, okay, look, Monday, this is where we were Tuesday. We had these three things happen Wednesday. You know, we had this happen and all the redirections are documented. And by the way, this seems like it would be a lot for a classroom teacher to do with, you know, 25 kids in the room or 30 kids or whatever. You don't have to do it for every single one. Right. Like right. You're, I, I keep it in my in-school suspension room. It's there. All my kids' names are in it. It's, it's tied to my seating chart. So it's, you know, it's already available, but if you've got eight classes with 25 kids for class, you'll know, you know, there's probably only one or two kids in one to three classes that you're going to need to keep that kind of, that level of documentation. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's not, it sounds a little overwhelming. Like, why would I keep a spreadsheet behavior spreadsheet? That's that long for that many kids. You wouldn't in a regular classroom. I wouldn't, that'd be ridiculous. Um, you just, you'll know by week two, for sure, probably who you're going to need to start documenting behaviors on because they're going to show you who they are right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I would ask teachers and especially leaders to communicate this to teachers is that look at that, like switch how you look at the documentation, not so that you can catch them doing something wrong in a punitive way so that it can help tell the story of what might be going on and ask what is it that they need or what is it that I'm doing that might be contributing to this behavior and how I'm setting up my classroom space? Because you're right, it does go back to creating that safety and there's ways to do that. It sounds like your book has a bunch of information in there. Can you tell people how to get a hold of that? Sure. Before that, though, I like what you said about examining your behavior because that is true also. I should have said that as well as like you always, I mean, I do this reflectively, it just it always but it's like, what is, what can I do to change my behavior to make sure that we're not having these responses? Yeah, always, always, always do that. Um, but yeah, and then if it's not, whatever, if you can't think of anything, then yeah, then definitely like bring the kid over and say, hey, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing? Is it something I'm doing? What are we doing wrong here? Yeah, the we um, approach is great. The we, and then don't, you know, people of course can reach out to people like you who work with kids like this all the time. And like, don't be afraid to reach out. If you've got great strategies that is working for you, 
other teachers need to know, like, listen, we're, we don't all need to do this in isolation. Reach out to the people who have success with this. Even if you're a seasoned teacher, put that pride aside, man, and go to your school counselor, go to your school social worker, or go to somebody who's an ISS or somebody's working with these kids and it's, it's working or colleague. So anyway, I love that. Okay. Tell people how you can, how they can get your book because there's tons of information in there. I love this. Sure. It's on Amazon. It's the Art of In-School Suspension, a discipline program for, that benefits students and teachers. It's by Jonathan Cranford. So you can find it there. Um, that's the only place you can actually buy the book. There's a digital version and a, and a hard copy version. And, uh, and then if you're looking for to go further than that, maybe you need somebody to help you or your staff um, you know, build an in-school suspension program or have some professional development around that, uh, you can go to www.theartofiss.com. And uh, you can just reach out to us there and I'll come do a uh, professional development day at your campus. Yes, it sounds like we need this. I would love for these for schools to look into this a lot more, because if we can keep kids in school, if we can keep them there, I know that there are outliers. I understand there's there's other things to consider, but if we can keep them there and make it more of a positive experience and a transition Boy, wouldn't that be great if we can do that? And it sounds like you've got a great formula for that. Is there any other place people can reach out to you, like on Twitter or anything like that? On social media? It's, sure. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Crandiva, C-R-A-N-D-I-V-A. Okay. Um, and that's pretty much it. I'm Otherwise, I'm pretty private with my... Um, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. At Crandiva. Well, that was Instagram. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I'm, that's okay. Um, I'm at J Money Cranford uh, on Instagram. Okay. It's the Twitter handle I've had forever. I probably need to change it. Well, hey, if it's working for you, keep it. <laughs> if it's working. <laughs> yeah, you. I just want people because it's important that people are able to reach out to you when they're thinking about it. And it's just an easy reach. So that's why I'm digging a little deeper. I know this is the problem. I hear about this a lot when we're working with schools. So thank you so much for being here and then sharing all of this great information. Everybody listening, please go get this book. If you're a school leader or have, an, if you're invested in creating a great inclusive space, that is definitely trauma-informed. What do you call it? Trauma, what do you, you and your partner call trauma it? Assumed. Trauma assumed. Trauma assumed. Yeah, we know there's something going on back there that they're just not telling us or we'll never know, but we got to create that space. Thank you so much for being here, Jonathan, truly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. All right, everybody. If you'd like to learn more about how to make a thriving school community and other aspects, go ahead and check out the other episodes, but please share this one with other people who would benefit. I know you leaders are thinking about this a lot. Thanks so much for being here, everybody.